Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Ben Harrison. Ben, I think we've been looking forward to this one for a long time, right? This is a big episode. You could say uh, just as important to the next generation, uh, this episode is to our little podcast. Sure. If we can just pull this off and make it funny... (laughs) <laughs> I think it'll mean we can do this thing for the long term. Yeah. I mean, you might think of us as uh, incredibly detached, ironic assholes, but I got a little misty watching this one. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to know when. <laughs> you know when. All right. Let's 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 get right into it. I'm <laughs> excited to talk about season one, episode 21, Skin of Evil. I think skin of evil is what Riker calls the bowl of condoms next to his bed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'll he'll use it if, if you insist, but he is not into strapping it up. Don't expect him to feel anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's feeling as little as, as I was toward the end of this episode. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So the Enterprise has received a distress signal from a shuttlecraft that's returning Deanna Troy from a conference. I feel like uh, this becomes a real leitmotif in the in the series that they're always sending tertiary members of the bridge crew off to conferences. It makes me sad that like a vision of a perfect future still involves people going to some version of Orlando and and sitting in a fucking conference room. <laughs> yeah. Put, putting on a shitty plastic name tag. Uh, yeah, I thought this was supposed to be a utopian perfect future, but I guess they still have holiday inns in the 24th century. I'm Deanna Troy. I enjoy chocolate, and I'm stationed on the Enterprise. Oh, God. Poor Deanna. <laughs> Poor gal. So they're getting, they're getting distress signals from this lieutenant that's piloting the shuttlecraft, and then he gets too busy to talk to the captain, so Troy gets on. And things are falling apart rapidly on the shuttle. I think at one point he asks for his position, and Jordy reads it out and asks if he can confirm. He's like, "I don't, I can't confirm anything, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know where I am at." And uh, it's not too long before this shuttle bails out onto the surface of a planet. And the situation is complicated by the fact that the Enterprise is traveling under impulse power. The warp core is offline. Well. <laughs> The new chief of engineering, Leland T. Lynch, <laughs> dicks around with the with the dilithium crystals. You know, you see the Enterprise from the outside, and you see it uh, under impulse power without the warp engines on. Yeah, it's kind I of like, murdered out, right? It's I murdered know. out with the with no no glowing lights and the warp engines. Looks yeah, cool. It's, it's like a dunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I loved this new uh, this new chief engineer because every time he gets on the radio, he gives out his full name with middle initial. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir. He's really argyling it up, trying to establish himself as a character that we're knowing the name of. Yeah, he's gone right around the idea of mail-in fan pieces and instead just going straight to the viewer with this. Yeah, yeah. He's he's making a direct appeal. Leland T. Lynch. How can you not want a guy like that to be a main cast character? 
Yeah, he's really uh, appealing to the Dukes of Hazard set with a name like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Picard is like, get get me my warp engines back, Buster, or or you're through. And Lynch gives a uh, twenty uh, estimated twenty minutes before he's going to have warp power back online. Yeah, he does that thing that, that Scotty did, which is like he names an arbitrary time that seems a little bit further in the future. Right. Uh, so he so he can make himself look like a miracle worker. Right. Because five minutes later, uh, the engines are back online and they're and they're cruising to where this crash shuttle is. Five minutes and a commercial break. I mean, sure. Uh, so the ship pulls into orbit around Vegra two, and they're like, "Well, we got to get down there. We've got Deanna Troy and some anonymous uh, shuttlecraft pilot." Yeah, old old red shirt McGillicuddy is down there with her, and <laughs> he's in dire straits. That poor guy. I mean, speaking of that character. Like yeah. you, you only hear him. Yeah, he never has an on-screen line. They probably just recorded somebody else, right? They cut to him in the shuttle, and he's he's slumped over the controls of the shuttle, but you don't see his face. Like it couldn't have been good for his career. Yeah, when he puts that on the back of his headshot, it's like back of head in episode <laughs> episode twenty three of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Holy shit, that was you! <laughs> Great back of head. Yeah. Oh, man. Straight out of central casting for a guy with a great back of his head. So uh, they're able to beam down after a little while. Like I think it's that they can't beam anybody up, but they are able to beam down. And it's right, due to right. there being some kind of field around the shuttle itself that they can't explain. Because as far as they can tell, there's nobody on this planet to be operating any kind of technology that would mess with their systems. Right. So uh, Enterprise sets down a Dustbuster Club uh, that includes <laughs> Riker and Yar and who is the third? It's Data. It's got to yeah, be it's Data. Data. Yeah. Uh, so they roll down there and they're like, oh, yeah, the, the crash shuttle is over in the corner. Let's go get it. And so they're walking along in sort of a setup that looks like it's in between the early episodes, planet surfaces, and right. it's a little more sophisticated cousins that follow like i don't know man i think this is the crappiest planet we have seen yet in the show really yeah that's my personal take on it i thought the rocks looked a lot more lifelike on this one than in the early episodes well the, the psych is still really bad they're still doing that the psych is no more than three feet away from the back of the at the <laughs> actor's heads it is like they shot this on a stage that is the size of my apartment well they did the best with what they had they did. So anyway, the uh, the Dustbuster Club sees the shuttlecraft, and they're like, okay, it's over there. Let's go uh, walk toward it. And there's an oil slick in the way. And this oil slick moves around. It, it squishes its way around yeah. uh, the ground to block their path. It's like doing, they're, they're trying to neon Dion around it, and it's, uh, it's just, it's playing ex- excellent coverage and keeping them out of the end zone. We can't really spend a lot of time talking about what this looks like because that is exactly what it looks like. It is an oil slick. What I read, it is a pool of Metamucil uh, colored with printer ink. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's not a joke. When it moves, it looks really bad. And I, and I mean, like, when it's, like, shifting around on the ground, it's a terrible effect. But when Armis actually reveals himself, it looks pretty awesome. Sure, like this this brings to mind something I wanted to talk about a little bit, which was like this first season has some effects that I'm choosing to call I can do this special effects. <laughs> <laughs> like I think you know my abilities as a video editor. 
I, I feel like I'm a fairly competent editor. But your specialty is not in special special effects. Right. And I but I have very rudimentary knowledge in motion graphics and stuff like that. I can do some pretty basic shit. When I see the Armus effect sort of uh, roaming around on the ground and also uh, covering the shuttlecraft with itself. Yeah. I look at that effect and I go, I can do that. <laughs> like, that's that's not outside of my ability. <laughs> yeah. That is some really simple keyframing in After Effects, basically. Right, right. So anyway, Armus reveals himself by rising out of this pool of oil. I am Armus. It's kind of the head and upper torso and arms of a humanoid shape, which, you know, it's unclear if that's like what Armus really looks like or if he's kind of doing that to look into the eyes of the away team or whatever. Did you notice when he first rises up, that's a reverse shot? I did because he's dripping up, but it only serves to make him look more, yeah, like in some horror movies how, you know, the the practical move will be someone walking backwards, but then they'll reverse the speed and, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll make someone look creepy uh, and wrong when it's played back that way. That's sort of the effect that I got from this. Exactly. So Armus is like uh, speaking through a vocoder the whole time (laughs) and uh, just a petulant bitch to the OA team from jump. Yeah, he's like a troll under the bridge sort of personality. We have injured crewmen in the shuttlecraft. We need to get to them. May we pass? (laughs) You haven't given me a good enough reason. Yeah, or like a grade school bully. Yeah, he calls Data Tin Man over and over. She's like, how do you know about tin? You live on a planet by yourself. Yeah. No technology. But anyways, the person who is hottest headed and gets fed up with this the quickest is Lieutenant Yar. And she's like, I'm done. Like, I'm going over to this shuttle, whether this gooey blob likes it or not. And she uh, attempts to jump the pool of ooze and is flung all the way back across the garbage planet set that they are standing on she is in she's in rough rough shape so uh yeah the, her evil knievel was a real failure mm-hmm. getting over getting over mm-hmm. armus yeah. and she is super fucked up that mark on her face yeah i couldn't tell if that was supposed to be blood or was supposed to be the pattern that armus's uh energy weapon left right because it's not it's not like black like armus it's like a it's kind of bruise color but it's got like very hard edges it looks like the amoeba records logo to me <laughs> yeah it kind of does yeah it's a, it is a very strange choice for, on the makeup department's part because it really it doesn't look like one thing or another yeah if it were me i would just have a bunch of blood coming out of her mouth right yeah or black stuff yeah totally so uh so tasha's down and a minute later dr crusher report she's dead she's dead yep this is 11 minutes in the episode. Very unceremonious. Yeah, kind of amazing. I remember being pretty shocked by this when I saw this the first time as a kid. Yeah, you know, as a kid, you could be forgiven. This episode opens with Worf and Yar shooting the breeze on the bridge, and Worf says that he's betting on her in the ship-wide martial arts competition. I guess they have some sort of MMA, MMA, MMA bracket that she's competing in. Sure. And Worf confides that he has has placed a wager on her winning it. But uh <laughs> Worf bet 10 scarves. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a real weird like like 
you know, Denise Crosby wanted off the show and they wrote her off and they wrote her off with a quickness and early in the show. So the rest of the show, like Captain Picard gets all the, all the heavy hitters on, on the ship in the, uh, observation lounge and says like, we are obviously all going through some shit right now with Yar being dead, but till the shuttle crew is safely beamed aboard this ship. Our feelings will have to wait. Is that understood? Yeah, we've got Deanna Troy and some anonymous crew member down there. we got to bring them back. And then we can deal with our grief. Yeah. I think Worf is the one that is most ready to deal with grief. And this is the scene in which Worf is promoted to the tactical and security position. Which makes the uh, loss of his bet... Uh, that sort of softens the blow, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like, damn, I'm out like a lot of scarves. <laughs> like I'm, I'm out in the first round yeah. in this bracket, but uh, got a, got a kick-ass promotion. So I'm not sweating it either. Yeah. What did the odds makers on the ship have on Yar buying the farm on this mission? I'm just wondering if he, if he hedged it all. I don't think a warrior hedges. <laughs> But Worf is actually like uh, takes to this position like a duck to water uh, because it is the position that he was always really meant for. But I mean, like he, uh, you know, Riker is like putting putting together the uh, the B team to go back down there and 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 see what they can do about Armis. And uh, Worf is like, I'm not going down with you guys. Like we're not trying to attack this dude. We're trying to reason with him. And I'm gonna be a lot more help. You know, working on the tactical situation. A yeah. very human choice by Worf. He was probably tempted, right, to go go die with honor? Sure. Get down there in that drowning pool. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful. No matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. 
And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. It is a guiding principle of a dog meeting base. Have you got find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth? You don't deserve to wear that uniform. So the B-Squad beams down. And Jordy is uh, on the team now replacing Yar. And the idea is that Jordy's visor might help them out. And that winds up being a total canard. Like it doesn't come up at all. <laughs> Other than Jordy like standing in like I'm looking at things intensely pose, which he does occasionally, you know, where he gets in like like a half squat. Well, there's this thing that happens where they're they're interacting with Armus and Armus is just being a dick to him. Mm-hmm. And then Armist does that thing where he holds Jordy up to his locker and then smacks his glasses off of his head. <laughs> yeah. And Jordy's all feeling around on the ground trying to find him, and Armist continues to make fun of him. Don't help him! He's really playing a shell game with Jordy. He's beaming, beaming the glasses back and forth. Yeah, Dr. Crusher has joined this away team also, and that is important because uh, one of the games that Armist plays is... Uh, is forcing Data to wave around his Dustbuster phaser at people. Yeah. And then for Beverly to choose which one should die. Right. And uh, and in one example of the Enterprise crew being completely selfless, she responds almost immediately that, that she would prefer that, that she die herself versus choosing someone else to die for. Right. And we should say, like, every time the away team beams back up, Armis goes and smushes his ooze around the outside of the shuttlecraft itself. And Troy is in there conscious but injured. And Armis, you know, amuses himself by taunting Troy when the away team is gone. And through this, these taunts, we learn that Armis is the physical substance of evil that an ancient race that used to live on this planet, like, found a way to secrete from their flesh and it created a skin on top of their skin dank and vile a skin of evil he's like a popped zit from from the people who used to live on the planet right and they just sort of pooled all the pus together and and made armis and he is real butthurt about the fact that they left him behind whenever they whenever they abandoned this planet yeah wouldn't you want to leave him 
Yeah, no, he's a total dick. It'd be like if uh, if Donald Trump was uh, on Gilligan's Island, they'd be like, uh, let's like rescue everybody but this guy, you know? Yeah, they'd murder and eat him, just like yeah. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> but Troy is put in this weird position of sort of being ship's counselor to the worst of an ancient race of aliens. Yeah, she's sort of the Clarice to his Hannibal Lecter, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a totally great analogy. And I'd say that the way it's written is interesting enough. Like, she really, really talks to him with respect, but also, like, still condemning what he's doing. And is very clear with Armis that the Enterprise crew will not have their spirits broken by him. And that whatever upside he thinks he's going to get out of this interaction is not going to happen. Like, he's not going to win any battle of wits with with the Enterprise. She communicates that there's a form of solidarity that all of the crew members share, which is, like, they're not going to let you push them around. They're not going to let you steal their pride. They're not going to let you hold them down. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) This Enterprise will keep on moving. I did not prepare that at all. That just came to me spontaneously. <laughs> that's the best that's that's uh, the best stuff on this show. I'm profoundly troubled. My love is a Up on the ship, Worf and Wesley the boy. are are teamed up doing some some scans of what's going on with the shuttlecraft and Every time Armis goes over to the shuttle and is talking to Troy, they're detecting a dip in the energy pattern or whatever. It's it's like a completely meaningless techno babble, but it's like going to widen up being the key for uh, you know saving the day. And at, at the end of the episode, they're tracking this energy fluctuation, and if the energy goes low enough, they'll be able to penetrate it with their transporter beam, essentially. It was. It's like one of those episodes where Wesley shows up like a little bit past the halfway point, and you're like, you're almost like, oh, is he not even going to be in this? And then he is. He's still dealing with the grief of his haircut. So <laughs> he's grieving in his own way. Yeah. Also, a little bit miffed that he didn't get picked for security chief. Maybe next time. Can you imagine? <laughs> I'd watch that show. Torpedoes ready, Captain. Full spread. <laughs> Shields up. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the surface, uh, Riker's talking shit to Armis. He's he's really, like, he's not playing his games anymore. He's he's ready to show him who's boss. Uh, but Armis turns the table on him pretty hardcore by dragging him into his goo. Yep. This is a really intense scene. It's like Riker gets pulled in, and like we see all of his body and then just his hand sink into the goo which is an awesome effect it's so scary looking like to think about being submerged in oil like that like i don't i have no idea how they shot that you know you see his face and his eyes and his mouth are open and that's the scariest part like the idea of the goo just going in your mouth like that like gross I'm trying to imagine what it's like as an actor to like read ahead on the script and go holy shit like I'm going to have to take a dip in some goo on a couple of these shooting days. I'm going to have to be full body submerged in, in yeah. glop. Uh, I read in the production notes that Frakes gets pulled into the pool and then he gets completely submerged, but they surface a plaster resin head uh, modeled on Jonathan Frakes' yeah. face. 
And so they sort of push that up through and then drag it back down. So that's the effect that we see in the cut to close up. It really works great. It works so much better than any other effect in this show. Yeah. It, because because it's practical, yeah, right? Go figure. Like I've uh, I worked as the camera guy on a music video one time where we were using some black goo and it was like coming mm-hmm. out of a character's mouth and it was really like like deeply upsetting even, you know, when I was there when they were like mixing it and it's there's something so fucking upsetting about what that looks like. Yeah, there's something instinctual about that color coming out of a person or a person being covered in that color. Because it's so unnatural. uh, It's this otherness. Yeah, but Frakes just fucking goes for it. Like, he's dragged into the pool, he's screaming his head off, and he gets submerged, and uh, he gets real dirty. Yeah. Riker finally knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of being drenched in goo. How dare you? You're ju- you're just like uh, I'll take that joke there. <laughs> <laughs> so Picard eventually realizes that Armus is uh, is playing games that are not going to be resolved until a grown up is in the room. So he beams down, and uh, he trades himself for the rest. He's he's he. It's a full party right. swap. And and you know Riker gets spat back out, and he's dazed but okay. And Picard's mission here, because they've kind of worked out, worked it out by getting a, a brief little bit of communication with Troy, is that uh, when Armis is confronting his feelings of betrayal and anger over being left alone on this planet, uh, he is not able to maintain the field that he has erected around the shuttlecraft. So if Picard can... If he can only goodwill hunting Armus <laughs> yeah. long enough, they'll have time to uh, to beam away uh, Deanna and her random shuttlecraft yeah. pilot. It's too bad he didn't bring down a paint by numbers for Armus to insult. Darmok, Angelad, They basically set the ship to do an auto beam out once the instruments detect that Armus's energy level has dropped below a certain point. And all Captain Picard has to do is a excellent Shakespearean dialogue condemning Armus while also provoking Armus to confront its feelings. Yeah, and like you would imagine, it works to a T. They end up beaming off both the injured shuttle pilot Deanna and Captain Picard. I'm not taking you anywhere. Leaving Armus to just scream to himself. Yeah. <laughs> they pull a, a very similar uh, directorial choice with this scream as they did when Worf was uh, crying out to let the dead know a warrior was coming. It's like a, a zoom in on, on Armus's head as uh as it screams out in anger yeah i i mean they really missed the opportunity to go planet wide and add the echo Mm -hmm. to the scream that would have been my artistic choice but maybe that's too much so we still have a lot of episode left uh which is the the memorial service for lieutenant yar which opens up like it's going to be the tackiest thing in the world like the holodeck opens and it's like the most sugary sweet green hillside with a tree and like bright green grass and bright blue sky with puffy clouds floating in it 
I have so many questions about this setup. Yeah, like, was it her idea? Why is no one wearing a dress uniform? That is also strange. Perhaps also her her dying wish. We can never know. Oh, yeah. That everyone goes uh, dressed as they would for work every day. <laughs> it's a very, yeah, it's very strange. And the strangest part is that they have a hologram of Lieutenant Yar, presumably something she recorded before she died to to make people feel better about her death. But if you think about that, like you would have to update that every like year or two, right? <laughs> every time uh, a significant life event happens between you and one of your friends, you'd have to update your will. Yeah. That would be weird. Every time there's a new crew member that might might be present for something like that. Seems like a crazy thing to have to keep track of. Yeah, the the type of diligence required to keep something like that up to date, I think, might indicate uh, a pretty serious mental problem <laughs> that we never knew about Daji Yar. Yeah. Like, she spends all of her time updating her will. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Yeah, so she, she basically uh, goes around the horn with the entire bridge crew and gives everyone a little chocolate kiss of her memories of them or, or their relationship. And it's it's like... It's pretty simple writing. It's basically like how you would describe the char- each character in two lines, you know? Like, Troy, you're capable of such love. Riker, you're the best. You know, Worf, you're a warrior just like me. Data, you really fucking knocked it out. <laughs> I've never been wrecked like that before in my life. <laughs> Data, I didn't walk straight for a week. she looks over to Riker she's like uh, Will you could learn something from that one (laughs) when she finally gets to Picard I think that was the moment that became really sincere and good and I think when I heard you talk at the top of our pod about it like that's the part that actually worked for me. It really did, yeah. And and was and was actually emotionally affecting yeah. was was when she talked about him. If there was someone in this universe I could choose to be like someone who I would want to make proud of me. It's you. I genuinely got a little misty in that part. And I think that's partly a testament to just like what I feel about the character of Captain Picard. Um, I also feel like it benefits from what we know about him uh, for the next six years. Like, I don't, yeah, that's that's one thing I wanted to bring up. Like, does this scene work uh, in the context of only twenty-one episodes? Yeah, or does it? Or are we projecting onto it in a way that makes it better than maybe it actually? Yeah, is? Yeah, I don't know. You know, like I think that it it may get more justified as the show goes forward and and I definitely thought about that like some of the characters that she talks about are characters that I don't remember her having many scenes with it's a very strange scene and in some ways feels tacky but ultimately really like tugged at my heartstrings <laughs> so sure I don't know why I mean the one thing we know for sure is that we'll never see Tasha Yar again ever why do you think she didn't rock her special occasion hair for this also? Not to get too Star Trek hair cast, but <laughs> like like she should have brought out her special occasion wedding yeah, hair. Poofed up. What do you think they do with her body? Um, they had a chance to shoot her out a torpedo too, right, right? But no Genesis planet to aim her at, you know? I don't know. I had a lot of questions having to do with uh, end of life issues. Yeah. Th- those are unresolved. I'm sure that this is like totally forbidden in my wife's cultural and religious heritage but if i could be shot out a torpedo tube when i die 
I think that's the option I would go for. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. I think we both agree that the character of Tasha Yar has had many highlights mm-hmm. in her career on the Enterprise. Uh, unforgettable highlights from a fully developed character, I would say. Absolutely. I took the liberty of putting together uh, an in-memoriam reel of some of her greatest moments and uh oh really yeah i uh i think sort of like the academy awards in memoriam montage i think it's only right (laughs) that we take a moment and remember our fallen bridge officer tasha yar i don't believe this you're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them (laughs) i'm in a penalty box (laughs) Data, you are fully functional, aren't you? Of course, but... How fully? <laughs> it doesn't feel artificial until the drug wears off. Then you pay the price. She's dead. Oh. <laughs> that was like basically everything I can remember about Tasha Yar. <laughs> That was every highlight of her Enterprise career, uh, complete and comprehensive. Oh, good job. Good job. And it fit into a span of about 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace, Tasha. <sighs> wow. wow. Uh, so that was a pretty big moment in the show, killing a major character, a very uh, very Joss Whedon uh, thing to do yeah. in a sci-fi show. Yeah. This is, the, you know, this really previsaged Game of Thrones in a big way. I didn't choose a drunk Shimoda, did you? I did. Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Drunk Shimoda is the name we give any character on the show uh, who appears to be just having the most fun or doing something we don't understand or just being ridiculous. Uh, we do this once a show. Yeah. And uh, and we each find someone that is the most deserving of being called Drunk Shimoda. We sort of, uh, we've, we've talked about him already, and uh, it's Leland T. Lynch. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir. Temporary, 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 temporary acting head of uh, engineering in this episode. I just thought, what a dope. Like, this guy comes on with, <laughs> like, you know, I can't imagine that they wrote it like this for the actor. You know, but he says Leland T. Lynch every time he gets on the radio. And it's like, like, what the fuck are we establishing here? Like, why are we spending any time with this dope? Like, can't we? Isn't there something that one of the bridge characters can be doing that's slowing the ship down or that helps build tension? Like, it's such a stupid device. And it's like just everything about Leland T. Lynch. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir. Is ridiculous. He's going to realign the dilithium core by hand or something and it's like what the fuck are we talking about <laughs> like you're, you're doing you're gonna you're gonna power up the whole ship by hand like that makes no sense nothing that we've ever learned about the warp core lends any credibility to that whole part of the storyline and leland t lynch lieutenant commander leland t lynch here sir is just trying to work his his name onto onto our brains to become a, a real character which he is not so a couple episodes ago Wesley Crusher's taken the Academy entrance exam. And one of the questions is like, 
what's the mixture of matter and antimatter required to make warp drive? Or, you know, a question a question like that. Do you remember the ratio? As far as Leland T. Lynch. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir. Thinks it is. It's 25 to 1? What? <laughs> yeah, that's some fucking bullshit. Yeah. I think Wes would flip yeah. out. Uh, knowing what Leland T. Lynch Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir is trying to do to the warp yeah. core Wes needs to take his uh, repeller device down to engineering and lock <laughs> Leland T. Lynch Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch here, sir behind a force field the guy is a menace yeah ridiculous god shoot him out of torpedo tube <laughs> that guy's terrible yeah do you think he comes back I don't think he does I hope not. I need to leave him at a starbase. <laughs> we need to Leland him at a starbase. I'm quitting the show after that. <laughs> ben, I was too distraught to find a Shimoda in our episode here, and yeah. uh, and I didn't I didn't nominate one. Well, we'll raise a glass to Yar and get drunk Shimoda ourselves. I am Lacutus aboard. You will respond to my questions. I am Lacutus aboard. You are. What do we have coming up next week? Uh, next week's episode is called We'll Always Have Paris. Captain Picard is unexpectedly reunited with his first love in the midst of an investigation into lethal time warp experiments. Do you remember this at, at all, Adam? Because I do not. No, I don't either. Not at all. It seems like a uh, from your episode description, this is an episode where Picard's going to get to speak a lot of French, right? That's always fun. Mm-hmm. The ancient language, sure. That that is dead. The language of love. <laughs> yeah, you know, on in my like later in life rewatches of the series, I have often skipped season one entirely. And uh, why would you do that? <laughs> hard to say. It's fun to have vetoes, huh? It is. When you have control over yeah. the episodes you get to watch. Do you think this is a, a vetoable episode, though? Like, if we don't know anything about it, like, why would either of us veto this? No, I just, I just don't recall what that's like. I was just ruminating on that idea. Mm, yeah. I think if we can't remember it, that's a great reason to watch it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think we should revisit our veto discussion when we start season two. Um, because, you know, I think that uh, having done every episode, as painful as watching that Waxana Troy one was, uh, I feel like we start to build a podcast that is very definitive in goofing around while talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. I guess if your goal is being definitive about it, then uh, <laughs> then that's something I can get behind. Uh, well, we'll we'll think about it. We'll we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Why don't we end this charade? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's adjourn for now, and we'll come back with "We'll Always Have Paris." You can follow me on Twitter at Benjamin R A H R. Uh, and you can find me at at Cut for Time on Twitter. Uh, also, uh, check in on the hashtag Greatest Gen. Uh, it's a great conversation between Star Trek fans and our country's veteran community. Yeah, there's been a lot of fun fun stuff on there lately. I've been having some some fun conversations. Yeah, uh, not the least of which is our ongoing Twitter war against the Mission Log podcast. Yeah, our our rap beef that they have half-heartedly taken us up on. Not really. <laughs> A rat beef that they really don't understand. Yeah. It's like when you try to start a rat beef with a couple of dads. I honestly think they're confused by the whole thing. Yeah. 
one of the one of the the latter day uh, elements of a rap beef is is you often hear no mention of the subject of your diss tracks name in the song. Like if Fifty Cent is going to diss Rick Ross, he might not say Rick Ross at all in the song. He might say Officer Ricky to make fun of him, but uh, would never say his actual name. And that's like seen as uh, you know if if you're famous rapper and you're saying the name of your rival, it it's seen as like making them more famous but uh i think that one of the biggest ways that the mission log podcast has insulted us is by barely being aware of our pipsqueak show i think that was a fairly predictable outcome (laughs) well uh with that we will be back at you with another episode very soon where two guys who are a little bit embarrassed talk about yet another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. See ya. Bye.